Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Clay Wilson. This week the focus returns to rugby. With the CEO of the Battling Blues facing the music, New Zealand Rugby negotiating a request from Hurricanes captain Brad Shields to play for England, and All Blacks coach Steve Hansen offering his thoughts after the team's latest training camp. We also hear from New Zealand netball coach Nolene Todua on the state of the game in this country, and Paralympic swimming champion Sophie Pascoe talks about shifting her training base offshore. New Zealand teams continue to largely set the standard in Super Rugby, but yet again the battling Blues find themselves trailing in the dust of their four New Zealand counterparts. The Auckland-based franchise is 12 points from the next-best team in the Kiwi Conference and second-to-last overall with six losses and just two wins to their name. With the pressure mounting, Chief Executive Michael Redman fronted the media earlier this week and began by addressing the situation of head coach Tana Umanga, who was off contract at the end of this season. The head coach appointment is, is a joint decision between the board and, and New Zealand Rugby. Uh, we're working through that at the moment. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that there's, there's a, you know, plenty of support for Tana within New Zealand Rugby and the Blues. Um, you know, we think he, he's got a great rugby brain. Uh, he has the respect of the players. Uh, he has my support and the support of the board. So we'll work through a process to, to determine what the coaching group looks like because obviously the head coach is the most important appointment we make, but... He's one of four or five, and I think getting the, the coaching group right and the support around whoever the head coach is is, is important. You've been through Pat Lamb to John Kerr and now Tana. What's wrong with this franchise? Well, it, 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 it's complex, and I think you, you, you saw Steve Hansen make similar comments about that this morning, is that we're part of a system. Um, you know, we're the fully professional end of that system. Um, but all parts of that system need to work. What we can control, I guess, is our environment, the quality of the people we bring into our environment, that's coaches and players, uh, the resources and the, and the, and the culture that, that, that we can have around them. Um, but in the end, you know, we haven't been able to deliver and changing coaches every, every, every cycle hasn't worked for the Blues previously and I'm, I'm on record saying that. Uh, and so our, our best, you know, I think our preferred option would be to try to work with the group we have, but we have to make sure we get the shifts as well. Um, and so people always say, well, how do you measure progress? Well, some of those shifts are on-field and some of those shifts are off-field. And as long as we see that shifts are still happening, that growth's happening in individuals and in the club, then you know, I think we're prepared to keep going. Are you seeing that? I think we are. I mean, obviously the ultimate measure is, of, is our win-loss record in terms of you, know, you guys and our fans, and that's fair enough. Um, but you know, if you make a change, um, someone's going to want to start again. So are things wrong underneath? Steve Hansen said yesterday the Blues are going to have to go through more pain to get better. Are there, are there systems underneath which you alluded to wrong? Well, I, I think it's, it's a combination of things. I mean, we, you know, we are blessed with, with the, the talent and the, and the first 15 competition that we have in this region. Uh, it is the place where everyone comes to, to, to recruit. Uh, but at the same time, some of the, you know, those competitions, some of those systems are producing players that 
that aren't necessarily super rugby ready from day one and we need to make sure that our system and the systems that we work within can deliver that. So why, why, I know there's a lot of injuries, but why are there these breakdowns between different systems? It's, you know, it's 15 years since the last title. Players coming into this team now don't even know who was in the team when they last won the title. Why are there constant breakdowns? Well, I think it's 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 15 years since we won the last title. It's it's four years that we've been we've been running this program. Um, I think you know one of the things that we can uh, mark down as success is the, our ability now to retain young players from our region. Um, the Yuanis is the headline example of that, but you know uh, Blake Gibson, Caleb Clark, others that we'll announce shortly. So I think we've we've certainly addressed the issue of retaining those best players. There's a lot of players making names for themselves that come from here and other teams, though. Of course, Dylan there are. Hunt. Yeah. could go on and on. Yeah. And, and you know, I think each and every case is different. And and what we have to be happy with is, are we retaining the players that we want to keep? And the answer to that, I think, largely is yes. We also accept some players have had to leave this region to succeed, and you know, and that's great for them, and we wish them well, and, and there are complex issues sometimes sitting around that. But all we can do is control you know, the players that we want to retain. We're doing that, and I think you're seeing a crop of young players from this region who've achieved in this region played well together, are becoming the nucleus of this team and, and soon to become the nucleus of the leadership group of this team. Michael, from a pure results perspective, do you accept that publicly it's going to be a difficult sell should you go on to reappoint Tana? Well, I think at the end of the day, at the moment, you know, we, we, we played in front of 11,000 people on Friday night. Uh, normally that crowd would be 20,000. Um, in the end, people vote with their feet if they're not seeing performances that they're happy with, uh, and we just have to accept that. So it's not about you know whether it's a hard sell around our personnel. It's a, you know, we've got to be able to win those fans back, and we win those fans back by performances, especially at home. Are you concerned that a team across town might be winning those fans and they might not come back? Oh, I think inevitably. I mean, we're delighted for the Warriors. We we know them. We have a relationship with them. We're very pleased for them and what they're achieving this year. And you know, we can we can see in our social media that some fans are are choosing to go and support them. In the end, all we can do is try to win those fans back by the performances that we put out week by week. Another big talking point in New Zealand rugby circles this week has been the future of Hurricanes captain Brad Shields. The bruising flanker is off to take up a contract with English club Wasps at the end of the Super Rugby season. Shields, who qualifies to play for England through family, has requested clearance from New Zealand rugby to be available for the England national team in the June international window. I spoke to RNZ rugby correspondent Joe Porter about all things Super Rugby and started by asking what exactly was taking place with Shields' situation. Yeah, the Hurricanes captain and loose forward Brad Shields is obviously... A major target for English rugby. He's heading overseas at the end of the Super Rugby season to join English club Wasps. And, of course, he's looking to become an English international. Eddie Jones, the current English coach, has eyes on him already. And it's even been suggested that he would like to pick him for the upcoming June internationals for England before he's even pulled on an English premiership jersey. So uh, Shields has asked for a release from the Hurricanes for the June internationals. So he can, I guess, be released from his New Zealand duties to go and play for England in South Africa, um, and the New Zealand is currently, I guess, the New Zealand Rugby Union, NZR, are currently assessing that request and whether or not they'll grant it. It would seem morally they would be obliged to grant it to him. He's been a great servant of New Zealand Rugby and has played for, the, for Wellington and the Hurricanes year in, year out without missing many games, without having any higher honours, so he's stuck around despite being overlooked for the All Blacks on many occasions when plenty of pundits thought he should have been picked, so... Morally, they have every obligation to let him go. Legally, however, they believe that 
it's up to them essentially to release him or not because he's signed a, a what is called a, a clause in the New Zealand rugby regu- uh, so I guess they're sorry their um, contracting agreements that overrides Regulation Nine of World Rugby, which suggests that every player uh, should be released with the juniors and nationals should they be required to be. So. Um, there could be a bit of tug of war there between New Zealand rugby and world rugby. World rugby have told British media that they have the upper hand and the power to ultimately de- decide what goes on here. So it's, it's, it'll basically come down to whether or not NZR refuse to release him. And if they do, then world rugby will have to step in and set some sort of a ruling. But it could cause a dangerous precedent. So I imagine they'd come down pretty hard. Regardless of whether it happens or not, the fact that he's wanted, is that more a reflection on the strength and depth of New Zealand rugby or perhaps a lack of it in the English game? Better both. That I think definitely a strength of the New Zealand rugby. There's obviously something in his game that the All Blacks coaches think will translate or not translate into performances at international level. So it isn't like he's had inconsistent years or hasn't been knocking on the door for a while. So there's there's something there that the coaches see that they don't like. So it is a reflection on the depth of New Zealand rugby. If there's that many people that they think are ahead of him, when you've got injuries to the likes of the people you do at the moment, um, that he's not even getting a look in. So looking ahead to this weekend, I guess this rumbles on in the background as the Super Rugby mm. competition continues. Shouldn't it affect the Hurricanes too much tonight, you don't think? No, I mean, they're expected to, to dust up the Sunwolves fairly easily. You've got to take them, you know, with a bit of a caution. They're not the best defensive side on the planet, the Sunwolves, don't get me wrong, but they can play some decent attacking rugby. So if you do get complacent, they can give you a fright like they've done to the Blues and the Crusaders in recent weeks. So... Yep, you'd assume the uh, Hurricanes will get up for that one. Quite a strong team they've named as well. So, you name it, Neha scatter back on the wing. So that's a bright light for the Hurricanes. We haven't seen him in action since last October and, of course, the star of the 2015 Rugby World Cup. So good to see him back. Good to see him back in the black jersey, hopefully, later this year too. And they should yeah, easily win, beat the Sunwolves and go top of the New Zealand Conference. The Crusaders play the Brumbies over in Canberra. That's a, a tougher prospect, but again, you expect the Crusaders to win. An Australian team hasn't beaten the New Zealand team for a long, long time now, and definitely not this season. Um, and then the Blues hosting the Jaguars on Saturday night in Auckland. That should be another win for the New Zealand side. The Blues have had their issues and their troubles, but no better game than this one to get back on the winning, winning buzz um, and winning bandwagon. And, of course, the Bulls host the Highlanders in Pretoria on Sunday morning at Loftus-Versfeld, not quite the fortress it once was with the Bulls up there, but that'll be probably the trickiest game of the round for the New Zealand teams and the Highlanders will be tested by the Bulls, but again, you would expect them with the form they're in to come out and win that one. So four wins and four games from the New Zealand teams this weekend, you would think. And just a quick word uh, announcement this week, the New Zealand women's team is going to play the two games prior to two Bledisloe Cup tests this year, so perhaps another step in the direction of promotion of women's rugby and where New Zealand rugby want to take it? Yeah, absolutely. A, a great result for the Black Ferns and for the Australian women's team, of course, as well. The Australians, Australian women's teams never played alongside their men on Australian soil, so that's a first for them, and that's quite cool for the game. And again, capitalising on that great Commonwealth Games, sevens result for the two countries, and women's rugby in both nations obviously moving forward in leaps and bounds. And, gaining that parity alongside the men's game. So hopefully no longer just curtain raises these Black Ferns and Wally Roos double-headers. They'll become a sort of a permanent fixture and something that we can all look forward to because there's some real clashes, that's for sure. RNZ rugby reporter Joe Porter there. The veteran netball coach Nolene Todua has never ruled out a return to New Zealand, even after leading the Sunshine Coast Lightning to an Australian domestic title in 2017. 
Toto has been touted by the netball community as the obvious choice to replace Silver Ferns coach Janine Southby after a disappointing Commonwealth Games. But Totoa has developed a new passion in the sport. After extending her contract at the Sunshine Coast till 2019, the Kiwi is now establishing a sports academy and told Ravinda Hunia how the project will ensure the franchise's longevity when she eventually returns home. Yeah, we run a holistic programme here, so everything's integrated in regards to we have all facets of what's required to help a person perform. So you've got the mental aspect, you've got values in the culture, um, S&C, physio, medical and nutrition are, are the major co- components of our programme. And it's about the integration and how they all link together. So, you know, that in one part is, is a different approach to uh, what they used to here, but also about high-performance programmes as well. It's a, definitely a different approach and really it's about communication and relationships when it comes down to it and, and performance out on court. We train, we play in our same venue, we have our gym here, we've got the pool. We also have the recovery centre that's going to be opened up very soon. So everything that we need or the athletes need to be a better athlete and to improve their whole physical status here mm. in the one-stop shop. Knowing from at home, you know, we've always travelled or we've always worked in separate places or lived in separate places and had to travel to come together. So when you have just the one plan, one strategy, and everyone sort of coming under that one strategy, it definitely helps. But, you know, the offset to that in regards to New Zealand is we punch above our weight and with the resources that we have over there, we make it, we stretch it as much as we can. Is it things like this that makes it more appealing for you to stay? Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things that we don't have here is um, the levels underneath. So in regards to structure of the development players and uh, the feeder pathways, they have something like 6,000 players that play in Sunshine Coast. But in the past, prior to us being here, they've had to go out of the city or out of Sunshine Coast to compete. And you had Firebirds and you have all the other teams. So there's no set structure underneath. What I'd love to be involved with here is helping or establishing the academy and working that alongside the University of Sunshine Coast so we can tie into the academic program, uh, not only for athletes, but also from a sports services perspective. So right from coaching to the performance analysis, having uh, strength and conditioning and using the Sunshine Coast Lightning as a live learning model. So instead of these people having to go into uh, the classroom, they actually learn on the job in our environment. That's what the intent is over the next two years. You know, there's always a saying as, as a coach that you want to leave your environment better than you received it, to be able to leave, I think, a stronger structure underneath so that the pathway for players who come from Sunny Coast can definitely make it into into Sunshine Coast Lightning, and uh, I really want to be a part of that. That was Kiwi netball coach Nolene Todua speaking to Ravinda Hunia. What else is there to do when you've already proven you're the best in the world? According to Paralympic swimming star Sophie Pascoe, it's to get even faster. Pascoe has just come off a successful Commonwealth Games, claiming double gold, but her goal has always been the next Paralympic Games, which will be hosted in Tokyo in 2020 
where she will defend three gold medals from Rio 2016. This time though, she's made the decision to train in Nottingham and explained to Ravinda Hunia what she hopes to achieve. It came up in the planning session uh, a couple of years ago in the, after Rio and obviously we had to look in you know, for this next campaign how to how we're going to obviously be better and faster for Tokyo and for the goal that uh, we want to achieve in our team. And, you know, it was really sort of what can we do that is completely outside of the box that we haven't done before. Uh, I came up with an idea that maybe I should head overseas for a little bit and sort of just get maybe a little taste for what I, sort of being outside of my comfort zone, away from, um, you know, my luxuries. And how did you decide, well, you and your team decide on the location and the amount of time you'd spend away? Uh, look, I did a bit of research, but obviously I've got um, a lot of friends that I've created over um, the period of swimming. And um, uh, Ollie Hind was um, one of my first options that came up in, in my head. And he's an SA classified swimmer. And uh, he races the same times as me in, some, in my particular events that I compete in. And one that was obviously a, a tick in the box in terms of, you know, good training partners. And he also have a, has a similar relationship uh, with his coach like I do with Rolly. They've been together for a few years and also they've been very consistent over the past few Paralympic campaigns as well. So I'm almost stepping into his environment but also stepping into an environment where they're being very welcoming and they have a similar situation like Rolly and I. And, and that's what I sort of wanted to have still a little bit of the same as that but obviously I'm still going into a complete new environment as well. Do you think that three and a half months will be enough between now and Tokyo or could there be potential for maybe another visit closer to the time? The, the, the year, a couple of years after Rio or after Paralympics is always um, a very risky year in terms of you know um, keeping yourself stimulated. Four years can seem like a long time but it does come around very fast. You know, three and a half months I think is going to be just perfect mm-hmm. and obviously we have a lot um, planned for next year with having world championships and coaching in Malaysia. So, um, you know, I think we can see that there, we're definitely going to get some benefits out of this three and a half months mm-hmm. and, and um, it's a perfect perfect fit for it being two years post-Paralympics. Um, but how do you better gold? And what, what are you hoping to achieve out of this visit? For me, I'm, I'm wanting to achieve that extra 1% mentally. I mean, of course, I'm obviously going over there to train and and, you know, I can jump into any pool and, and do the laps that I need to do and be told what I need to do by um, by the coach. But this is about being out of my comfort zone, being out of my home comfort, um, not knowing what I'm actually going to turn up to every day. And and that's what I'm really excited about. It's about being, finding the strength to know that when we go to Tokyo, we're prepared for any situation that's um, going to be thrown at us. New Zealand swimming sensation Sophie Pascoe speaking to Ravinda Hunia there. And finally this week, the All Blacks coach Steve Henson is happy with where his players are at leading up to the June internationals against France. Henson held the latest of his foundation days in Wellington earlier this week. He'll name his squad to take on France on May 20th before holding two more camps in the two weeks leading up to the June internationals while the Super Rugby competition rumbles on. Hanson spoke to the media after the Wellington gathering. Uh, yeah, well, how was today? Great. Um, this is our fourth day, uh, two in the North Island, two in the South, and just allowed us to sit back and reflect uh, without any pressure of having to play a test match at the end of the week or trying to prepare for a test match. So 
we've managed to sign off last year really well, look at some of the things we want to, to do with our game um, this year and take that from the whiteboard down onto the training park and just do it nice and quietly and no pressure being able to stop and talk. And uh, So it's been really successful. We've had good one-on-ones, had some good time with the leaders. Oh, it's probably 95% talking and and uh, you know about 5% doing. So um, it's just a matter of getting some stuff uh, in their all-black books and then closing those books up and letting them get back to their franchises and not being overwhelmed with the, you know what we've got to do when we come together. So uh, it's given us a really good head start for when we do have our camps later in the year. And you brought uh, Tito Rory Tahurirawangi in today. Uh, well, he's playing well and he's a lovely pass of the ball. He's got a running game, so uh, we've just felt that we would like to see a little bit more of him and the Chiefs have got a bye, so Coops was uh, happy enough for us to bring him down and um, we took the opportunity to do that and, yeah, he's a nice young man. As you look ahead to the test season, any particular positions where you might have concerns over some death with, with some injuries happening around the place? You know, there's been plenty of injuries in the last uh, 12 months. We've we used, what, an extra... 21 players last year, so um, yeah, we should be reasonably uh, well off the players in each position. Um, experience is the thing that you've got to grow quickly, and again, uh, last year, though it was tough, um, and what we achieved through last year can't be underestimated. Uh, it did One thing it did do was give a whole group of young players uh, the experience of not only just being in the All Blacks, but also playing Test Rugby, so... You know, we're pretty comfortable with the depth levels in all positions, really. You talked about the, the leaders meeting and talking. With, say, Kieran and Colsey um, not playing at the moment, are you happy with the leadership group and from coming through from last year and what they're showing this year? Yeah, again, I mean, it, uh, we didn't lose any... Um, well, we, you know, the 800 caps we lost after the World Cup, we, I don't felt we, I didn't feel we lost talent, but what we did lose was experience, and, and particular leadership experience in those tight moments. And uh, this group now has been together a couple of years, and they're starting to understand uh, more and more what it's about. And, and most of them are, have a leadership role in their own franchises. Um, so you know they're coming along nicely, and we've just got to keep working with them and keep growing. And you've had these <coughs> sessions, uh, because you have mentioned that perhaps limited lead up to the French series. So are you happy with what you've seen from the franchises and what they're producing, intensity and that sort of thing, that can take straight through into <coughs> test rugby? Oh, the, the, the local derbies have been fantastic. Um, that's why we've got so many injuries. You know, they've been knocking the shit out of each other, but uh, from an intensity point of view, you couldn't ask for any more. Um, but... You know, it's a competition that looks like it's going to change in the future, so, you know, what happens in the future, I'm not sure. That was All Blacks coach Steve Hansen. That's it for another edition of our Extra Time podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can keep up with all the latest in sport through our Twitter account, at RNZ Sport. You can also contact us via email at sport at radionz.co.nz. Until next week, I'm Clay Wilson. It's bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.